there is no perfect collaborative system and not everything that you focus on and try and deliver will succeed. So get really good at looking back what's worked, what's not worked. Um, and what, and rather than seeing what's worked and what's not worked as a sign of you either succeeding or failing, see it as a lesson about the system. And this is baked into systems like agile and design thinking, where the retrospective is a really important part of any kind of project process. So I would say that if you want to get good at collaboration, you need to get really good at retrospectives, like looking back on stuff that's gone well and badly and, and celebrating the stuff that's really worked and really trying to draw out the lessons. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day. Tune in to discover what it takes to truly develop within human resources as we delve deep into growth, engagement and leadership strategies that will help you unlock the hidden potential within your business. By listening to this podcast, we hope to empower you and your workforce towards achieving significant HR organizational success. Now, if you are an HR or L&D professional who is really interested in improving your levels of collaboration, be that improving your matrix structure or be it that you want to improve your implementation or transformational project teams, this is an episode you are going to absolutely love because I am joined by Richard Watkins, who is a lifelong collaborator, scientist and creative problem solver who spent eight years at BP across research and development and product strategy. He then founded Let's Go in 2013 uh, to offer specialist support services to organisations who want to get more from collaborative working. Now, he is a collaboration strategist who has run over 75 collaborative projects in over 20 countries, leading teams to the creation of major brands and products in China, Europe and the US. So if you are interested in improving your project teams, improving collaboration across functions, this is an episode you're absolutely going to love and enjoy. So sit back and enjoy. Cheers. So hello and welcome back to the HR LND podcast. As you heard from my introduction there, I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Watkins, founder of Let's Go. Um, Richard, I wondered if you could, if we could just begin by telling us a little bit about your career to date. So to give our listeners a little bit of context as to how you came about founding Let's Go and, and, and a little bit more about, about the business as well, just to give it some context. Five quick questions. Understanding where we are to know where we are going. Well, I actually started my career as a wide-eyed 16-year-old uh, modern apprentice uh, for uh, the oil company BP. And so I actually started um, working in laboratories um, at big BP research center in West London. And I actually spent eight years working across the oil industry. So um, from 16 uh, to 24, I was kind of yeah working in labs and then eventually on more kind of strategic or business projects. So from a technical side, but kind of around uh, developing new engine oils for massive ships, so big two-stroke engines. And so I started my career and then I got a um, chemistry degree while I was doing that. So uh, really in applied chemistry and R&D. And so that was sort of my foundation. And then I took a bit of a, well, it kind of feels a bit like a sideways leap, but actually it, it sort of made sense at the time into innovation consulting. So that is creating new products, brands, and services, mostly direct to consumers. So I was at an agency called What If, um, who 
are one of the pioneers of kind of innovation design thinking, uh, definitely in the UK, and was yeah creating a new brand for Argos or a new beer for Carlsberg, um, and I spent eight years there. So I did kind of a in a big business for eight years, sort of knocking around, seeing how that works, then doing kind of consulting projects on innovation. Uh, product development, brand development, strategy development, um, and then and then I kind of left that. And the, the truth is, I was just a little unsure what to do next. And so I moved to do independent consulting, and did a bit of wider stuff. I ended up in the Philippines working with an NGO on how to build a collaborative project uh, to equip coconut farmers um, to be more resilient. Wow but also working with a massive insurance company on how their values can become decision tools in the business. So started to work more into organizational change work. And then in 2016, I kind of landed on collaboration as my area. So it, it sort of looks a bit like I've got a slightly chaotic background of chemistry, innovation. I was also doing a lot of art projects um, and culture change and working with NGOs and big banks and everything. But but really, I kind of realized that the thing that I, the thing that I've always been circling around is solving complex problems in groups. And I, and I saw that increasingly that's a need in pretty much every business that I've worked with. How do we solve complex problems collaboratively working across boundaries? And so basically that became my, my focus point and Let's Go was born out of that. And then we grew the team um, and then now working more with associates. And so since 2016, I've been working with organizations on how do we make sense of collaboration and how do we make collaboration work for the business and how do we equip leaders to work collaboratively, but also how do we build collaborative teams and help organizations be designed so that they support collaboration excellent fantastic that gives us some really good context and something really relevant for our listener group you know being hr professionals you mentioned some aspects of um you know an hr professional that's, that's going to you know, deliberately or what should i say it's going to touch upon so things like cultural change you mentioned certainly organizational development yeah and on your website you state that sort of around the world and across industries people are and in your words are crying out for better ways of working together so with that in mind if i'm an hr leader listening to this now who perhaps works in quite a complex matrixed organization or certainly global these days as we move into you know, real global um, communication strategies now with technology improving as well. What organization, uh, what approaches are there would you recommend to leaders, teams and organizations to help them make sense of collaboration so they can improve the ways that they're currently working together? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is just to, to kind of recognize that this is an area in which you need to build skill. And both as an HR professional, I think increasing, I mean, I think HR is probably one of the best examples of having to work collaboratively across the organization and supporting the collaboration in leadership teams that they support and uh, across the business. So I think HR is really well placed to be a voice for, um, for better collaboration. But I think, yeah, the first step is just to realize this is something that, that you can't just leave to chance. I think that's the, I mean, most of it, the thing is if, if uh, I'll just frame it, collaboration is just getting things done in groups. And whereas in traditional, like 
getting things done in an organization, we think very much about team structures. And but collaboration is saying, well, hang on, don't think about the team structure. Think about what you're trying to get done and then who needs to be involved. And so that might be within a team structure, but often and increasingly it's not. And so uh, it's realizing that if you just leave that to chance, everyone's basically, everyone, everyone's all right at collaboration. Everyone can do it. It's just working with others. And we do that all the time. We're born in groups, we live in groups, and pretty much everything we ever achieve is in groups. But realizing that, um, that our kind of, if we just bumble along with it, then the chances are we'll pick up some great habits and some probably difficult habits that get in our way. And so this is an area that we can focus on and we can build our own skill in and we can also build the skill of the organization. So if we reverse, reverse engineer it then, what do you see within organizations that perhaps they're getting wrong when it comes to collaboration? So you, know, you must work with a lot of companies and immediately you may be able to see some, some telltale signs that actually things can be improved here. What, what are the things we should be looking for? Well, I mean, I think on the surface level, there's lots of obvious things that probably everyone in an HR role already sees. So people working in silos, people defending their patch, um, people not getting to know other parts of the business or not taking on board what um, different teams... Ha the, like the truth is in a complex organization, different teams have different priorities and sometimes they map really nicely together and sometimes they pull in slightly different directions. In collaboration, you have to recognize that the other people's direction and motivation is valid and you're trying to work with it rather than against it. So you're not trying to decide whether the HR team or the strategy team is correct. You're trying to say, well, the strategy team clearly have some priorities. The HR team clearly have some priorities. And if we're going to work together, we need to kind of take into account everyone's priorities and find a way that works for all of us. And so I think at a, at a kind of basic level, that's, um, that's what's kind of needed. Um, and then another big thing I think that we get wrong about collaboration is we we've sort of grown up, most of our organizations have grown up in the industrial age. And like we've got 1980s business schools or the ideas born in 1980s business schools guiding a lot of how we work. A lot of this is built on the idea that the organization is a kind of machine, right? We can separate the different parts, we can optimize the different parts, and that makes the overall machine work. And if there's a problem in an organization, like maybe there's some difficulty or challenge or a really difficult conversation we need, the system can be optimized and perfected so that doesn't happen. That's like the traditional idea of our organizations. And if you like, there's a machine metaphor going on. Now, what I would say is that as we become uh, more of a matrixed organization, it's too complicated to figure out where all the machine-like bits go. And a better way to think of our organization is more like a forest or a garden that is a complex ecosystem of interrelated forces where the weather and the seasons are going to massively affect how we work. And we need to stop thinking that when things are messy or ambiguous, that's a sign that something's gone wrong. Because in collaboration, it's normal for things to be difficult, a bit complex, a bit ambiguous. And the work of leaders and HR professionals, but also kind of wider in the organization, is to be able to handle that and work with the things rather than try and clean everything up. So collaboration can be thought of in cleaner ways. 
But what we can't do is get to a stage where we have this perfected organizational collaboration. And so I think that ends up meaning that people, when I talk to leaders, they're often quite disheartened about how they're collaborating. And, but when you dig into it, sometimes it's just, it's normal that for there to be some complexity and ambigu ambiguity. So no one out there and all the people I talk to, no one's going, we're great at collaboration. But the truth is you don't need to be perfect at collaboration. You just need to be good enough. And actually one of the things that I think organizations and leaders can do is realize that it is a bit of a mess and that that's, that's not a bug. That's a feature of working across boundaries. That, that kind of throws up three, three different questions. Um, just listening to what you've said there, and I'm, I'm a bit of a visual learner, so I, I create pictures in my mind. One of them is you mentioned the forest. So um, if you think of a, a forest ecosystem, you know, there are some ugly things within that, you know, whether it's an owl eating a mouse or whatever it is, but you need those things to happen for the, the full forestry ecosystem to work um well so i guess my image of that is saying okay so there are messy elements but it doesn't necessarily mean collaboration isn't working because you need those elements to come to the surface in order to you know to, to to manage them but one thing i thought was interesting is at the start of your answer in in line with this ecosystem piece is you said that you know collaboration is about groups we live in groups and you know we're, we're collaborating all the time and we're seeing a lot more business now take the matrix routes because you know, it allows it allows companies to really and you know leverage expertise in smaller groups. So whilst they're collaborating better, potentially matrix organisations, it does also make them more siloed. So it, is that also is that a, is that a you know, are you seeing problems around that at the moment, or does that help or go against the the ecosystem? If I don't know if I've, I've articulated that. What well. you mean, like the, whether whether the matrix is a helpful or unhelpful? Yeah. Kind of way of organizing because you're encouraging yeah. skill set to get a, a better result and you are encouraging more group activity and collaboration but at the same time you're siloing businesses to a certain degree as well by doing it yeah and also i guess people are then being a bit torn let's say you're an hr business partner and you might you've got two different routes of reporting right you've got your you've got the into the hr function and into the organization and it can mean that you're pulled in more than one direction um yeah, I mean, I think I think it's difficult to get things done in the matrix, um, but I, I I think the matrix is a response to how the rising complexity of the work that we're trying to do, um, and so I, I don't think again I would say here the matrix isn't the problem. The problem is that it's hard. <laughs> like often, what we're trying to do in organisations is hard, and and so so I don't I don't necessarily see that as a fatal flaw. I mean, I think there'd probably be pros and cons. Um, but again, this is where often, I mean, if I'm an HR leader in an organization or the, the HR, even an, even the um, kind of chief people officer or, or, or right at the top of the organization, it's not like you can easily switch these things around. So often in an organization, and this is maybe the approach that I tend to take, is not how do we design the perfect organization but how do we optimize what we have? Um, because we've been in eras of multiple reorganizations and what they tend to do is cause, even if in a, in a, in a way that goal, even if the organizational transformation has some sense that it will make things better, it normally also makes some things worse. And so probably I would say the answer to improved collaboration isn't endless reorganizations to find the perfect structure. Um, 
it's probably working with what you have and seeing what you can optimize. And I think there are some really clear jobs you can do to make collaboration work better in any system, whether it's a matrix or, or not a matrix. Um, and I sort of tend to focus that way more like, hey, where are we now? What could we do rather than what's ideal? Because again, I'm not sure there's an, like if we think of the forest example, what's an ideal forest? Well, it depends what trees are in it. It depends where it is, like what's the altitude? What's the temperature? Where is it in the world? What else is it near? Is it near a road? Is it like, how's the mycelium network of mushrooms underneath? You know what I mean? It's like, there's so many things that you can't perfect. And I think this really, this idea of collaboration isn't something to perfect, it's something to improve. Um, and yeah, there are, there are tangible things you can do. Yeah, that makes sense. And we're going to talk about some of those tools a little bit later as well. So I'm really keen to, to get to that, but it's a really clever response. And the only other thing, I, the third question that came to mind in your previous response was you mentioned that, you know, following industrial changes, we're kind of stuck with an 80s mindset. So do you think it's an evolution in human psychology and the way that we are improving the way that, you know, that we approach work, you know, from a human mental perspective? Or do you think it's due to the huge advancements in tech that's allowing us to collaborate across borders um, globally in a much easier, quicker, faster way than we ever done before that's causing this, um, I guess, willingness or, or want for organizations to improve collaboration include the, and improve the way they're doing things now and come out of that 80s mindset. Is it one or the other or is it a combination of both? Yeah, I mean, what do you think? Tech-related, I think, because I think tech forces us to, um, to address you know, the ways that we communicate in a different way. So I'd probably put my my hat more on the tech side, but I'd also think the way that we view the profession at the moment, certainly from an HR perspective, that the human psychology piece is definitely having an impact, but I think it's driven more by tech. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I think I'm, I wouldn't make a pronouncement of where I think it is. I, I would say all of those things that you've said are going on. And, and I think there is something about um, raising our, I think, I think what's, in an old world where things were really clear, right, and things were things were um, more delineated between teams, like tasks, all of that, and we could do annual planning cycles, and they worked. Like I think there's a new type of way of thinking that you need, or a, or a, a more awareness that you need now. So I, I think the rise, if we look at like what's big in leadership development, resilience, empathy building strong networks, uh, creativity, um, design thinking, agile type approaches, changing the way we even think about how we approach problem solving. Um, I think all of these are essentially new ways. It, there's, a, there's a higher level in which we need to not only do the work, but think about how we do the work because, because it isn't, isn't sort of as, um, as, uh, obvious always so i think there is a on leaders and again this would apply to in hr but like leaders across an organization need to be thinking both about what to do but also how to do it and in the end that's really where i think collaboration is part of that like how do we collaborate okay who's the right group to gather around this problem um okay are we all in the same location and if not how do we make sure we build relationships across uh, across a dispersed team how often should we meet when should we get together um, uh, like what does a successful outcome here look like? How, what's our resource constraints? What other constraints are we operating in under this? So all of these questions are almost like having to 
figure out how we're going to approach a problem as well as what the as well as what the result we need is. Um, so I, th I think that's maybe that applies to what you when you were saying like an evolution in consciousness or psychology. I think there is a bit of that, but then again, I, I'm completely with you. Like the 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 technological changes. I mean, even the fact that I don't know Facebook Workplace or Yammer or any of these Slack or any of these more chat channels make the ability to get quick input from people really far away from us they they kind of enable new kinds of behaviors that, and also new kinds of challenges um with that i'd agree but I, I think sometimes with tech as well it makes us um less capable or less thorough in the way that we collaborate and we you know sometimes face-to-face -face contact you can get a lot more information than you can on a quick quick whatsapp chat but so one thing i want to touch upon then before we get to that stage and you've just given some really strong strategic type questions perhaps businesses could be asking of themselves to improve things so the two things i'd like to understand is uh number one is when should we collaborate and when should we not collaborate and number two sort of following on from that because you've given some wider context of the strategic questions but as an individual, if I'm an HR professional listening to this now, I'd also like to know how, as an individual, how can I get better personally at collaboration? That's kind of the second question. So if we can start with, you know, when should we collaborate and when should we not? Yeah, I think this is a really important one because sometimes collaboration gets used as almost like a, a sort of some sort of universal good thing, like more collaboration is better. And that isn't true. Um, I feel like already if we look at organizations they're feeling overwhelmed with the amount of work they have to do and also in a world where collaboration sometimes sounds like hey have more meetings people already have an, people already have enough meetings and so i think um if collaboration is getting things done in groups i think an important way to think about is okay what's important enough and complex enough and um really needs alignment across multiple perspectives in order to to kind of warrant us investing time in collaboration because i think there are lots of things that honestly we should just get on with and and there's a, some in some organizations there's a tendency to to almost be afraid that someone will be upset if they're not involved and therefore we over involve everyone in everything um so i think being I think one of the skills we need or one of the things we need to do is be able to tolerate the fact that, again, we're in a forest, not a machine. So actually, sometimes we need to tolerate the fact that we're not always going to get invited to everything we wish we were invited to. And also, we're not always going to invite everyone to things that they should they would want to be in an ideal world invited to. And so there's a little bit of tolerating that. And, and one of the... Um, so... Uh, back to your question, which is when to collaborate and when not to collaborate. I think if it's not a really complex problem, we don't really, really need multiple perspectives to um, to, to kind of get it done. And it's maybe not um, as high on our priority list as like the overall, if we look at like what's the strategic things we're trying to get done, is it really high on that list or is it kind of nice to have? I think it's worth being real about that. And then one of the things that I, when I'm talking to organizations do, is I say it's worth embracing the fact that there are other really good ways of working across an organization. So there's one type of thing that we do in organizations a lot that we sometimes call collaboration, but isn't. It's selling. It's like, I've got a great idea and I want you to get on board with it. And so sometimes the tendency is we think, well, it's better to collaborate, right? So we invite people to lots of workshops and meetings and conversations about what we should do. 
when actually we have an agenda and we're pretty sure what we should do already. So I think if you already know the thing you want to do, inviting lots of people to a long kind of collaboration process is actually kind of wasting everyone's time. And you'd be better off admitting that you just have a perspective and that you want to sell it, to, you want to sell it in. And so I think that is an interesting distinction, like selling and collaboration. And another one that probably the, the other main one I would say is sometimes we're not collaborating, we're negotiating. So let's say me and you run different parts of the organization and we have fundamentally different objectives. Like maybe I'm the IT team and you're exploring some kind of IT outsourcing. And I know that's going to hurt some of the people that work for me. So I don't want it to happen. You do want it to happen because you think it's going to save some cost or something like this. We'd be better off admitting that what we're in is a negotiation where we're hoping to find something that we can both live with. And actually, we might come with something that has some sadness for both of us, you know, some compromises or some difficulties. And so I think knowing that sometimes you're there to sell, sometimes you're there to negotiate, and then, of course, sometimes you're there to collaborate. But we get, when we use collaboration to mean everything because we think it sounds nicer, we sort of do ourselves a disservice. So, so there would be two examples when we're not trying to collaborate, one where we already know the answer, we're trying to sell, and one where we actually have fundamentally different strategic objectives driving us or different drivers that aren't easy to get around. And it's not easy for us just to come together and go, we're all working for the same company. Because actually, if I'm like in our example, like it really matters to me that my people have jobs <laughs> and it should, right? If I'm the leader. So, so I think it's, and some things are very clear cut and we can all get on board with, but some things we're like, you know what? I think there's different roads we can go down. And so we're in something more like a negotiation. That makes sense. I think um, and this kind of links then to the next question, which is how could individuals get better at collaboration? But one thing that I think, particularly on a, from an HR perspective, right, they're managing uh, and mitigating lots of risk. And I do think sometimes it's, uh, there's an inc- it encourages further collaboration because people don't always want to take full uh, accountability for making a decision too quickly. And if everyone else is on board, then it mitigates the risk of it all being one person's decision. Um, and in HR, sometimes that's more important perhaps in other functions, but also there's a self-confidence um, you know, aspect to that as well. So individually, how can we get better at collaboration? Yeah. And I will just say, speak to that, what you just said is I think um, collab, I think there's a massive error that we make in collaboration where we assume that collaboration means not having ownership. Um where we want to dilute ownership. And actually, I think collaboration only works when we have strong ownership. So typically, again, if collaboration is getting things done in groups, then a group only gets things done if there's someone who's kind of owning or holding that group. It doesn't mean that that person has all the answers or dictates what needs to happen. But I think we do want, in in any collaborative group, we want a strong sense of who's the owner. Sometimes that can be two people together. So let's say, I don't know, a an HR leader and a a CEO of a a business unit um, might co-own something together. But like, as soon as we have four business unit leaders and an HR lead, then that's then another group. (laughs) So you can't all own it together. Then you almost have another group that needs an owner. So I think think ownership is really important um, for collaboration and a a massive error we've made is to, to, to kind of step away from it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, but it's it's thrown up another question for me. So I'm, it, it's um, yeah, it's great. Right. So I'm listening with with uh, with intent, and it's um, you know, we've seen a huge rise in flat structures where they're trying to take away you know that hierarchical traditional structure within businesses. And I n- haven't necessarily seen a huge amount of success in the businesses that I've analysed that have 
uh, what I would say are true flat structures. I think typically a leader will always surface among them and eventually it changes. And if they don't, then I think, you know, psychologically, there are still people that see themselves as leaders within a flat structure. But would, would you, you know, what's your view on flat structures? Yeah, there's a great, um, there's a great essay uh, by uh, a, a feminist called Joe Freeman in, I think she wrote it in the 80s, but it was about kind of first wave um, feminism. But it's really broader than that. It's called The Tyranny of Structurelessness. And it talks about how um, actually what emerges in a structureless uh, community, and she was talking about the women's movement, but um, is essentially when power, because power always exists and power always exists in groups. But um, if you don't, if the power isn't transparent, like as in, I don't know, elections, hierarchy, then basically there's two ways in which power moves. One is through, um, what she calls stars, which is basically like charismatic individuals who take on leadership. Um, and the other is through elites. And what she means by that is um, kind of cliques or relational groups. Let's say me and you have been working together for 10 years um, and we've got a few colleagues who have been with us for 10 years. The new kid won't get a say in because our relationship is where power exists because everything's flat, right? So, and I think you see this in flat organizations where it's either very strong charisma or cliques. Now, the danger of that is that they're not good ways of power moving, and certainly power can get very corrupt in those systems. So I think it's really healthy to speak about who is the owner in a situation. Um, I think the overall flattening of structures sometimes has great benefits because it kind of cuts out bureaucracy, but I think we shouldn't use the lack of hierarchy to be to mean the lack of accountability or ownership and we should be clear about who is the owner um, a good example of this is in the RAF um they you so let's say you've got a couple of a pilot and a co-pilot in the RAF and there's they uh, in fact one of I was talking to someone in the RAF the other day and they were saying they uh they're like two ranks above them is someone who's two ranks above them is currently their co-pilot because they're flying a particular kind of plane that they have expertise in. So even though they're more, they're much more junior than their co-pilot. So when they're flying, their co-pilot answers to them. But out in the world, their co-pilot is can give them loads of advice for their career and help them with loads of things because they're, mu they're they're much more experienced. And I think this is a good analogy for business. It's like, we need to be clear on ownership and ownership doesn't always mean hierarchy. So let's say we've got a project, the person who owns it isn't necessarily the most senior person in the room. And I think that's a great example of collaboration when we can be clear that says, okay, Sarah owns this, even though Jennifer's her boss's boss and is involved. I think that's a fantastic response. No, it makes total sense. It's um, really clear and, and you've given great clarity to that. So uh, fantastic. So individually then, how can we get better at collaboration? Um, one of the things I feel is that there's sort of a simple way to think about it is there's four jobs to do in collaboration. Like collaboration is one of those things that you can't really say, I don't know, like, are you good at collaboration or am I good at collaboration? Well, it's all contextual, right? But there are kind of muscles that we can build or... Um, jobs to do that apply both at an organizational level and at an individual level. So one of those jobs is to build strong connections. Um, so I think if you're a leader listening to this or an HR professional listening to this, I think you could reflect on what are the connections that you have in the organization 
that are really strong and that really support you to get your object to meet your objectives. But then you could also ask yourself, what connections need to be stronger? Because building connections, um, that is knowing who's who, but also kind of deepening trust and vulnerability and kind of relationship is a kind of job you need to do. So you might think of someone in the organization where you think if I had a stronger connection with them or, or maybe a part of the organization, like I don't know, the IT department or whatever it is. Um, so thinking about and actively thinking about how having a strategy for which connections you need to build. And then when you're on, I don't know, leadership away days and things like that, actively seeking out the connections that you need to build to strategically strengthen collaboration rather than just hanging out with the people that you know and like the best. So that's like the first thing, building, like think of your connections strategically. The second thing I would say is to get good at, um, again, sometimes we can jump to conclusions too quickly. We can say the organization needs this kind of thing, right? I've seen it before, or that's what I believe it needs. And without properly listening to the other sides of other perspectives in the organization, so I think actually getting good at letting go of always needing to know the answer when you start off a collaboration and really explore the different possibilities of what kind of collaboration you might need or what you might need to focus on. So I think kind of getting good at um, being open to the different views that you hear and realizing that everyone's probably speaking from a noble, uh, wise and kind position rather than everyone's out to get you. <laughs> so I think that's also useful just to genuinely like explore the different possibilities. And again, if you're listening to this, you might think, okay, what are the, what are the things that I think are needed, but I'm not quite sure. And rather than thinking of that as a problem, like, oh, I don't know the answer. That's an opportunity for you to then explore well, what could be needed. Maybe you think there's a, I don't know, an issue between two of the teams that you're supporting and you could, but rather than thinking that you need to know the answer, go out and speak to those people. Hey, what do you think's going on? What do you think's going on? And not be afraid of the fact that you'll get some complexity back. So I think that's another kind of skill to build. And then a third skill is, is to actually realize what are the most important things that you need to deliver in collaboration? So not to think of collaboration as a whole thing, like I need to get good at collaboration, but like, what is it that I really need to achieve and what's on my plate to achieve? And also what have I got an appetite to achieve? Because again, often collaboration is complex and difficult, so it's going to take some of your energy. But I think it's like looking at the problems in the organization and thinking, which of these problems have I got like a real buzz for, you know, which do I, which would I love to solve, right? Which would I be really proud to kind of address and, and really try and put some energy onto where you're going to focus your efforts. Like what's going to have the biggest impact? So if you're listening, you might think what's in 2020, what's the biggest impact thing that I need to collaborate on and really be, pre be prepared to let some of the other stuff go and just really focus. Um, and then the last thing I would say is there is no perfect collaborative system and not everything that you focus on and try and deliver will succeed. So get really good at looking back what's worked, what's not worked, um, and what and rather than seeing what's worked and what's not worked as a sign of you either succeeding or failing, see it as a lesson about the system. And this is baked into systems like agile and design thinking, where the retrospective is a really important part of any kind of project process. 
So I would say that if you want to get good at collaboration, you need to get really good at retrospectives, like looking back on stuff that's gone well and badly and, and celebrating the stuff that's really worked and really trying to draw out the lessons. Like let's say, I don't know, you tried to do this project with IT and it, it didn't really work. They didn't create the space for what you wanted. There was a lot of resistance. Rather than seeing that as some sort of message that it's impossible to collaborate with IT, uh, use it as a way to say, oh, what could I have done differently? How could I have approached that differently? How could, and, and actually having that open dialogue, even with the people where things didn't go so well, because that is a fuel to build stronger relationships. Like, let's say we work on something together, like anything, and it goes well. Of course, like, it's normal then that we would have a stronger relationship, but actually Often, a way to get an even stronger relationship is if we've worked on something and it hasn't gone so well, if we're brave enough to have that honest conversation with each other about what didn't work and where maybe I didn't, didn't, maybe I made some choices that weren't helpful. Maybe you made some choices that weren't helpful. Maybe it was nothing to do with either of us and it was something about the context. We were given a poison chalice or whatever. But if we can have a proper diagnostic conversation about that, a proper feedback, actually our relationship is even stronger next time. So you can probably think... Every, everyone loves being listened to, right? So just having those conversations, even if you're not, you're not necessarily going to love what they have to say because it might be negative and it might not be what you want to hear. Um, relationships, I think, uh, are always improved if, if, some, if there's someone that's willing to actively listen to, you know, to, 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 to what people have to say. So I totally agree with that. And I think that's something we can, we can all do a bit better comes back to this bigger point that we're trying to say about collaboration is collaboration can't be perfected. You can't get it right. You can't be perfect. It's not a machine that can be optimized. It's a forest. There's always an owl that's going to swoop down and eat your mouse, you know? And that's not a sign. That's not a sign that like everything It's just, it's just, there's some lessons there. And actually maybe that there's, oh, hang on, but that's part of like the forest floor is always going to be a bit messy and mucky. But that's not a sign that it's not alive. Actually, without that messy forest floor, you don't get beautiful, tall trees towering into the sunset. You know, like that's part of what it is to collaborate, is to live with some complex and difficult emotions. Like in collaboration, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to have some anxiety or some doubt about what the right thing to do is. You're going to have some uncertainty, some frustration. And all of these things aren't like, they're not signs that you're getting it wrong. They're just part of it. And so one of the things we need, and this is maybe the last thing I say is like, we really need leaders in collaboration who are, can really be, be present to what's really going on and to be self-aware enough to rec like, recognize, oh, wow, I'm being really triggered by this situation. Hmm, what can I do about it? Like, and what's really needed? And maybe then it's one of the reasons why I think if you're collaborating on something and it's complex, it can be really helpful to have some informal coaching from a peer or a mentor or have someone who can be a sounding board for you when, let's say, something's a bit more difficult. Because, and if we can be this for each other, actually, that's a big part of building, again, building connections. It's the relationships, it's the advice, it's the wisdom from other people as well as from yourself. And so I think. Collaboration is hard to do in isolation. Like if you're tasked with collaborating, that can be quite hard. But if you can have the support networks around you, um, the people you can talk to, the sounding boards, the wise friends, th these kind of, again, feedback is super important.
both with the people you're working with, but also it, that's not always possible because again, some organizations, it's not easy to have really honest conversations, but finding the people that you trust in the organization who can support you and you can support um, is, is a really is really important. Sure, that makes great sense. And I think that's a, a great way to jump into a very quick advert break, but stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to find out a little bit more about Let's Go and in particular, some of the tools that Richard can offer, including the Let's Go model, which might just help with your uh, collaboration uh, strategies internally. We're also going to find out a little bit more as well about how we can go about discovering the hidden conversations uh, that sometimes exist within businesses and what, what we need to do to unlock those. So stay tuned. We'll be back in two moments. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Shaping the future of human resources together. Final questions. So, Richard, um, on your website, you offer you do offer a number of tools for clients to, to take a look at and for individuals to, to download and to read. And uh, uh, I will definitely put a link in the episode notes for anyone interested in uh, in accessing those because it's a, it's a really good website to, to to navigate. But one of those is the Let's Go model, which covers the five dynamics that need attention. I wondered if you could tell us more about this, perhaps some of the other tools out there that you offer that clients might be able to to benefit from. Yeah, so I think one of the things one of the most important things in a big organization, well, I'd say in any organization is to get to some kind of common shared language around collaboration. And what the Let's Go model does is it just speaks to what are the dynamics that are going on in groups? What are the human dynamics of groups? So, um, and, and it's a really elegant framework and has been really successful in people really get it. And there's a TEDx talk you can watch that kind of gives it to you really cleanly. Um, but so I think, I think having shared language is really, really important. And then what we've done at Let's Go is, is realize that um, as we were working with people, they need a bit more than just a high level model. And so what we've done is built a load of tools off that that can really support good collaboration. So um, we have a psychometric test for groups. So rather than asking the question like, who are you, Nick? Who am I, Richard? It basically says, oh, who's this, what's this project? How's this project going? Like, do we have the right amount of care in the relationships in this project? Do we have strong belief? Do we have the right structure for this project? Are we involving the right people in this project? And are we kind of making the sort of progress we hope for? And so that psychometric can be just a really useful thing for, uh, let's say, a project team. I mean, we've done it a lot with leadership teams all the way up to executive level. And it's a really good way of, opening a conversation about team dynamics or group dynamics that is really productive and doesn't spin off in everyone using different language to main, say the same things. Um, it's a really grounded conversation you can have um, as a group. So that's kind of one. Um, and then one of probably the, the tool that we're most famous for is um, something that we first launched on, on Kickstarter in 2017. And it's called the Collaboration Cards. And basically, it's a deck of cards 
that that highlight 30 of the most powerful conversations that you have to have if you want to work well in teams. So conversations like, what's the future that we're going for? Or um, how do we build a sense of being in it together? Or um, how do we test ideas out in the real world? Or what's the right mix of people to get things done? So it's kind of really practical, grounded questions. And, and basically from all of our work with, and all my kind of work in science, in innovation consulting, in organizational change work, um, and from all the reading that I've done around collaboration, psychology, um, some of it comes from psychotherapy and all these kind of things. But basically they, they're the conversations that if you have all those conversations, you've got the best chance of success. So if you know the answer to what the future is we're going for, or how do we build a sense of being in it together? If you, if you, if you know the answer to those questions, you stand a much better chance of. So really, a really strong tool that a business or a project team could, could access to you know, sit in a room with, with your project, the rest of your project team potentially and sort of work through those. Questions. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you can just lay out all those cards and you can ask the six people in the project. You can say, everyone pick the conversation that you think we most need to have. And then someone picks one that's about relationships. Someone else picks one that's about um, the decision-making processes we're using. Someone else picks one about who has responsibility for what. Based on your accountability piece we were talking about earlier, you know, in those difficult conversations, it's a really good way to bring difficult conversations to the table without making them personal. So it might be a question you really want to ask, but you're scared to bring to the table because you don't want to be the one to ask it because, you, you know, you're worried about it, you know. Be defensive answer, whatever. Exactly, and it's much it's much easier to pick up, and they're all framed really positively. So it's much easier to pick up a card with a. Let's say we're working in a team, and I pick up a card that says, "How do we build strong relationships?" That's much that allows the anxiety that I feel is I don't think our relationships are strong enough, which is a very difficult thing to say. But it's very easy to say, "How do we invest in our relationships here?" I think I would love to invest in relationships with you. Is is a is just emotionally it just feels completely different and so there's these kind of let's call them really practical tools and then a lot of the work that let's go does is um well we, we basically do training including kind of all leadership development work um uh we we work with particular teams on their like kind of like a team coaching process or a team improvement process um and then also working with uh, let's say organizational change leaders or, or or just senior leaders in an organization who want to help a division foster collaboration more. So actually kind of, so we basically work with individuals, if you like, on kind of leadership development with teams on how those teams can get better, but also with wider systems uh, where we're trying to really say, what can we do to really shift something in this system? Um, yeah. So so that's the kind of, so like uh, two days ago, I was with 150 leaders at a, um, uh, an insurance company and we were basically saying, okay, what's our system like at the moment? What's getting in the way of us being a collaborative system? And we've got a survey tool for that, like a systems analysis tool. And then basically breaking people into groups to have really good conversations that lead to what are the tangible things that we might need to shift or, or adapt. And then that all got fed back to the leadership team within that, those 150 leaders. And now we're looking at a few really simple initiatives that, again, aren't going to perfect collaboration, but that 
like one of them's about retrospectives and like getting better at looking back at the end of the big deals that they do and not just rushing onto the next deal. It's really simple structural change like that they can make. And then some of it's a bit more behavioral. So collaboration is one of those things where it's a real mix of, let's call it what we might traditionally call harder and softer stuff. So it is behavioral leadership kind of tone. That's super important. Um, but it's also kind of tools, processes, structures. And because of my background, I kind of work with, and we have built an organization that works with both, um, both more, um, not to separate those too much, you know? Sure, sure. If anyone interested in any of those tools, I'll put the links in the episode notes. So just have a look at the episode notes for the yeah, podcast right. episode. You can click straight through. It's worth having a navigate, uh, navigating the site anyway, but um, I'll make sure those links are really accessible. But something you've made really clear and um, you know, in, in this podcast so far, Richard, is that collaboration is clearly absolutely key. It's an important topic. It's clearly often misunderstood. And I think you've certainly helped clarify what it means for me. And I think I probably was one of those individuals that did misunderstand it slightly. Um, but I know that something that you, you, you talk about on your website and you're quite passionate about is helping leaders and groups to find what you call the hidden conversations that need to happen to unlock things. Obviously, we've touched upon those with the cards uh, already. What I'd be quite interested to know is two things. One is, at what point, as a business leader listening to this, maybe I'm an HR manager who is about to embark on a new system transformation project or something along those lines, at what point would they engage Let's Go or yourself to assist them with ensuring collaboration is as strong as it can be, bearing in mind it's always an improving model? And have you seen any really exciting um, things happen or conversations be unlocked that you're able to share with us uh, as a result of the work that you've been doing yeah um so i mean i think because again because i'm not a l and d professional by training as in that's not my whole career like i'm a practitioner and then i've gone into these spaces and i've done lots of training and coaching and all of this but but that's not been the line that i've drawn on i would say in terms of how to engage with let's go it, it, it it's really different and i've got some clients who where I'm only engaged with like the L&D team. Uh, and so I work with a, a very big, well-known British bank um, with their, on their top 4,000 program. Uh, and also, I think also, that bank is listed on your website yeah, as I'm well. Sure, I'm <laughs> sure, sure want to find it. I think I'm sure people can find like, it. But like, yeah. so I work with them and that's really just, I do, I help, I basically license and deliver, deliver and license training for them to deliver internally as well, because it's global. Um, and then with other organizations, it's much more on the kind of more like an organizational design project or, or um, more like a kind of coaching piece. So it's quite, diff it's quite different um, in different places. Like with a pharmaceutical company, I've just worked with a succession of their leadership teams, their UK leadership team, Germany, Europe, and also their international leadership team with 48 countries. And that's really going, because leadership teams have a really important role to play. and so. I guess, um, yeah, so it's, it's how to engage Let's Go is quite varied, which you know, honestly, sometimes I think it would be easier for me if it was more simple and I just like stuck to one thing. But I think because I'm a collaboration expert rather than a training expert or a team dynamics expert or something like this, it's, I really want to see the whole stuff work. And we, we have a bunch of associates and we really love to get stuck into I mean, it's, it's kind of fine to do a, like, you know, you can do a half day training for some key leaders and that's great. But the impact, if you really want to see a shift, then embedding this stuff a bit deeper into an organization is really where shift is going to happen. And I guess 
increasingly now that's the stuff that I'm more interested in is is work that's really going to shift something um so there's a, a personal development and management thinker called Werner Earhart and he um has a great quote that we use a lot which is a problem only exists in the absence of the right conversation so a problem only exists in the absence of a right the right conversation and i think in collaboration especially all you're doing as a leader is having conversations like if you're working in groups the only thing that really happens is conversations and so there's a another thinker who talks about different types of conversations we can have we can placate right we can say the nice thing to someone we can um blame uh we can distract so we can kind of change the subject or kind of move off topic um or or we can level and what we want to be having in collaboration is the conversations where we really level with people like let me level with you what is really going on not what is professional or appropriate um but what is real and what is truthful and i think with whether it's the collaboration cards are a great tool to kind of start this off but really i think what we need for good collaboration is to be prepared to really level with people that is to say wow it's really it's really I've got a really completely different view to you on what the right thing to do is. Because when people, when people level with us, we, our respect goes up, our connection goes up. Like if someone speaks what is really truthful for them, we, we can work with it. If someone gives us a nice answer or a polite answer or avoids the subject or changes it or is, is deliberately vague, like we can't work with it. And then we get all sorts of difficult or complex emotions. It's like sometimes I've been in projects before where I've been in one major project, which was just going wrong for about four months. It was like colliding into an abyss for four months. And it was horrific. It was emotionally torturous, but also we were burning up time and not moving towards what we needed to do. Eventually, when it blew up, it was a disaster. Um, it was one of my low points of my career. I was a, it was a big innovation project. It went really badly wrong. We, got, we had to redo loads of stuff. It caused difficulties internally. It caused difficulties externally. And what we, have, what we didn't do is level with like, hey, this project isn't going the way any of us hope. And if someone had said that, we then can work with it. And I think we all long to be told the truth. And I think in collaboration, and, and this is what I think, leadership really is is being prepared to level and have the right conversation and mostly we know what it is but we're afraid to say it for some kind of oh we don't know how they'll react we don't we don't know what um uh what will they think of us like all of these different things go on oh they might judge me or they might think that i've not done a good job and the truth is though that those fears might all be true but it's when and i'm sure the listeners of this um, podcast will have all had projects that have gone really badly and the truth is nothing's as bad as not talking about the convers not having the real conversation like no um, no blow up from a conversation is so disastrous that it's worse than what happens if you avoid it because as Werner Earhart says a problem only exists in the absence of the right conversation and when you put things on the table you can start to move beyond them um, and again, that's hard and that requires us to do personal work. Like this isn't something that, you know, this isn't, and, it, and we learn it through experience and this is, um, but, but this is also where I would say 
um, you can show leadership whatever role you're playing in a collaborative project. So even if you're just the contributor, maybe you're even only contributing a small amount to a project. If you see something that needs to be said and you say it and you put it into the room or you put it to the person who's running the project, you say, you know what? I'm not sure that what you want from my division is possible for us to deliver. Right? If you say that and it's true, then you can start to work with it. You can start to deal with it. And then suddenly you, you don't have a problem in the same way. Whereas if you avoid saying it, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and someone's going to assume uh, you can or can't help. So I think that's the, um, I think that's the thing about finding the right conversation and the collaboration cards are a great way to start. Um, or they're not, we all, we're all doing this already. We're all having the right conversations already. The collaboration cards can be a useful tool for that. Um, and of course, like the training that goes with that. And we do work on leadership presence and how to be really strong leaders. We need to work with our nervous system as well as our intellectual system. It's, it's not about knowing more facts about leadership. It's about being prepared to stand as a fully embodied human having complex conversations. This is, we feel it in our heartbeat and our gut, not just our brains. And like being able to, being able to cope with ambiguity and complexity is a massive part of collaboration and of leadership. And so, yeah, so all of that. But, but And knowledge is worthless without application, right? So there's no point reading load of leadership books and everything else if you're not going to apply your learning and, and test it. I think what was quite interesting is when you're talking as well as everything you've mentioned rings true in personal lives as well as corporate, you know? And how many times, I'm sure, again, every listener listens to this right now as, as, as at some point in their lives said, I wish I'd just said something a little bit earlier. Um, and I think psychologically, we do create situations in our head that are the worst case scenarios. And actually, when we confront something and challenge it, it's rarely as bad as the scenario we'd created in our minds. Uh, because our minds always go that way. We are we are more risk averse than we are in a positive set. So um, the risk averse part of our brain will always make it out to be a lot, you know, potentially a lot worse than actually the reality of the situation. And the, and also the, another just simple thing to throw in is that I think of leadership as a muscle that we build, not a capability we have or don't have. And so what's good about this, like this idea of complex conversations is you can start with the conversation that you don't feel overwhelmed by. So there, there are, and that might be, okay, what would it be like to start in your immediate team having more of these honest conversations? Okay. What would it, try that out. What feedback do you get? Wow, this really helps. Okay. Now try it in that, you know, the, with those people you've been working with a while. Okay. Now try it in that really high stakes project. And so if we think of it like a muscle that we're building rather than, because another danger is you listen to a podcast like this and you think, oh, that feels overwhelming. Oh, I can never do it. And actually you can. You can take little steps. You can, you can build your capacity to have these honest leveling conversations and you can build it slowly enough that you don't get overwhelmed. And I think that's really, again, managing our nervous system so we enter into more complexity, more ambiguity, more volatility, um, and without getting overwhelmed is an important skill for HR leaders. And as HR supports the organization, you see this all the time. You see leaders who are triggered and overwhelmed. And actually what they need is to, they need to kind of find ways to manage that. If you could provide one uh, thing now, sort of shortly, that an HR leader or manager director is listening to this right now, and you said, okay, listen, having listened to everything that we've gone through today, and we've covered an awful lot of ground on collaboration, if you were to ask the listeners to go away and, and action one 
one point in relation to collaboration they could you know immediately go and implement maybe it's a difficult conversation maybe it's a small step uh, but something easy that they can take away and and you know even today um potentially go away and, and put that that first baby step in place what, what would that be what advice would you give collaboration always starts with building good connections and so um, think about a connection that isn't as good as it needs to be or where you you know you're going to have to re- really rely on that connection in the coming year. Um, one where you think, oh, and then take an action around that. So that might be next time you see them, um, start paying more attention to them as a human. Uh, that might be arranging a coffee and saying, you know what, I think we're going to have to work together this year. Let's just meet up and kind of have a bit of a chat about what's going on for you, what's going on for me. That the, If you can build the strong connections, then when you face ambiguity, difficulty, complexity, you need to have a more complex conversation. You've got something, the relationship is what makes it resi- you resilient. So relationships is what means that when something difficult happens, maybe they're disappointed in us. We can't fulfill everything that they want. But we all know this because the connections that we have that are stronger, we give people more ground. We we don't judge them as quickly. So think strategically about which are the relationships that are going to be really important, which need to be resilient for you and actively invest in building those relationships. And can be as simple as the way, the, what you ask them about, get to know them a bit. Who are they as humans? Where are they headed? Where did they work before? Outside of just the narrowness of their role and start building and investing in connections. And that sets the ground for everything else. Fantastic. I think that's a brilliant way to, to sadly bring the conversation to a close. We've covered so much ground, which and thank you ever so much for, for joining me today on the HR L&D podcast. Before we do finish, um, I've told listeners, of course, we will be putting links in the episode notes to the tools and to your website. But is there anywhere else that our, our listeners can connect with you online that you'd like to share share with them right now? Useful links, keeping the HR L&D community connected. We're Let's Go HQ on um, Twitter, Instagram uh, and LinkedIn. I'm Richard Watkins uh, and I'm Let's Go Rich on Instagram Twitter, which my exposure there is a little bit beyond collaboration as I dance around a few different things. But um, but yeah, I think just um, kind of stay connected. And then we've got a newsletter with very irregular at the moment, uh, maybe every couple of months um, where we just keep people up to date, maybe with some ideas and um, with some of the stuff that we're up to. So, so kind of join in with that or just give me a call. Um, uh, I think you can find our details or send us an email from the website and we can arrange a chat. Fantastic. And for those listening who are too eager to, to check the episode notes and want to go straight to your website, you can find it at letgo.so. So that's www.letsgo.so. I will also put a link to Richard's uh, LinkedIn profile in the episode notes as well. So, you know, with the importance of networking uh, being very much emphasized during the course of this podcast, if you want to build your network by connecting with Richard Watkins, then obviously you can. Uh, click on his LinkedIn profile and send a connection request as well. Now, of course, if you are an HR or L&D professional listening to this podcast and you've enjoyed the content, but you have an HR, HRIS, L&D related vacancy and you want some support with it from an HR specialist recruiter, then please do get in touch with myself or one of my team. We'd love to show you what we can do and what a great HR recruitment experience feels like. You can reach out to me directly at nick at jgarecruitment.com or give me a call on 01727 
800-377-877. Apart from that, I want to say a huge thank you to Richard Watkins from Let's Go for joining me today on the HRLD podcast. Thank you ever so much, Richard. Thanks, Nick. And uh, I look forward to bringing you the next episode of the HRLD podcast real soon. Thanks a lot. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day of JGA HR Recruitment. If you need help with a current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.